0: Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message.
1: Hey, it's, it's good to see you guys today. It is cold out there, isn't it? I love it when it gets cold in Nampa because you can just smell that beet factory so well. <laughs> it's, like that for some of us that thing smells like like uh roasted peanut butter. Sometimes it smells like an outhouse that's been kicked over. And for some of you it smells like money, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh it's this is this is cold in Idaho it smells um <laughs> Hey, um, do you remember when, uh, like that that uh, first first day of school when you would go in as a new kid? I I, um, I moved around a few times as a kid. When I, in elementary school and then up into junior high uh, and high school, and, and then, uh, we just moved a lot. We my parents uh, they pastored small churches, is what they did, and um, so I, I so I got to see firsthand what again sacrifice and commitment looked like. But what that meant for me a lot was I, I moved from school to school. Anybody else ever? Like, we weren't military, but we moved a lot. Anybody? Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, every time you'd go into, like, a new school setting, you would have lunch, and you'd show, show up for lunch. This just happened in the classrooms, but it would also happened at lunch, where you'd show up, like, with your tray. And you, remember the, you remember the tray, the little orange or red tray, you know? Uh, and and you grab the tray, and you have your little box milk on there. And and you'd walk into the lunchroom, and... Especially when it's a new new school, you're trying to figure out where to sit. You walk in and you're just like you're looking for somebody, hoping somebody will look at you and invite you to but but you're trying to find trying to find an open, you're not trying to find like an empty table with one person at it. Like that, there's a reason there's only one, you know what I mean? Like you want you want to be at a table where there's like it's half, half full. Uh, and, and there'd always be that kid. You'd, you'd be walking along with your tray looking for a seat. You'd see some seats that are open with some, some kids that look like you might get along with them. And you go to sit down, and that the, kid says, Seat taken. Yeah. You remember that kid? Like, seat taken. They would do the same thing on the school bus. Remember, you get on the school bus, and, and as, as you're walking into the school bus, they would, you'd be, again, you'd be looking for, you don't want to be the kid, you don't want to sit alone, you don't want to sit alone, you want to sit like with somebody, but you, you don't want to, you got you to gotta make friends, so you got to be with somebody, but not a. and, and there would always be that kid, to would be like, seat taken. And s- some of you were that kid, and you have time to repent right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know for some of you that was a really easy experience, and you you make friends every. Some of you walk into the room and assume everyone is your friend. Some of you are like me, and I, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm I'm an introvert. Like like I, I really enjoy being alone. Like I can I could go to a movie theater and watch a movie all by myself and have a fantastic time. <laughs> fantastic time. And and it was always this daunting experience walking into a new environment whether it was a school bus whether it was a, a classroom even although they they typically like assigned the seats right and um or or into a lunchroom and and there's always that person that just seats taken seats taken you need to look somewhere else this this seat is taken i remember that the same experience even uh, and when, when I went on to, like, college and stuff, like, there, there would be moments where there would be, you know, you walk into a, a dining area, and, and there would be somebody, like, you're grown-ups now, you're beyond this, but there's a, a seat's taken. And, and I think this, this idea of, of seats taken, when, when we're looking for a chair, I, I think it, it represents a lot of life, honestly, a lot of life, that, that we, can, we can live the, the, the seat-taken life, the person that when, when we see someone new or someone we don't necessarily have relationship with yet, we might say, now this seat is taken. Uh, I, I've got plans for who else could sit there, or more importantly, uh, I don't want anybody sitting there. And the truth is, that's very small-minded when we, when we say seat taken. I, I remember when, when we did our, our, our grand opening Sunday, and we had all of our new furniture out there. And uh, uh, one of my overseers said, hey, just watch out. All the weirdos will sit in all the chairs. <laughs> so he said, all the weirdos are going to sit in the chairs. <laughs> I was like, great, because I'm one of the weirdos. I like the chairs. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I like sitting down. And, uh, <laughs> and somebody's like, I sit in the chairs. Am I a weirdo? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we're all weirdos, right? But, but there's always those moments when you walk into a space and there's some people sitting down and you, you go to sit down and, and you, you don't know whether you're welcome or not. And, and when we have that seat-taken mentality, it is small-minded. It's, it's a, like a small, um, it's a small influence, small impact in the world around us. It's a, a mentality that really, it says that the chairs that are around me, whether they're full or empty, are really about me. Or we can live with an open heart, a big heart, welcoming other people to, to be among us, to be around us, to, to have a chair on the bus next to us, to, to find a seat in the lunchroom next to us. It's, it's a heart that's filled with abundance. It's, it's a heart that, that says, how can I add seats to the table of my life? A, a heart of great impact. It's a heart of, of legacy. So we are either the people that say, seat taken, or we're the people that say, take a seat. We're one or the other. And, and, the, and the truth is, that at the end of our life, we will all be remembered for something. And so my question is, what are you doing now that will establish what you'll be remembered for then? Will you have a seat-taken mentality, or will you have a come-and-sit-with-me mentality? I just want to be somebody, and I want this church to be the kind of church that is big-hearted, I want our lives to count. Uh, I, I want people to know that, that you matter to God more than my preferences matter to me. We want to be the kind of place where people, were are continually making room for more people, a place of impact, and a place of real life change. In the Bible, there's this, this story that I think exemplifies this idea. It's just a simple story. It's it's kind of just right in the middle of the life of king david. king david was uh, in in the life of israel still is considered the greatest king to have ever lived. in fact, if you look at the israeli flag, the the star that is on the flag, it it represents him. it's called the star of david, king david. Uh, it's really neat. we've we've found the ruins of his old city. they're they're right there in in jerusalem. it's called the city of david. in fact, the the, the oldest known toilet in the world is in, is in King David's palace. Uh, I, I saw somebody, t- uh, they, they took a picture of his, area, his deal, and they posted it online, and, and I circled the toilet. And I said, did you know that this is a toilet? <laughs> like, it looks like a rock, but it's not. And, and David lived a, he lived a very interesting life because God had brought a king to, to lead the people of Israel. His name was Saul. And Saul led them, but he wasn't somebody who was faithful to God. Can I just tell you, we need leaders that are faithful to God. We need leaders that are faithful to God in the church. We need leaders that are faithful to God in the city. We need leaders that are faithful to God in business. We need leaders in politics who are faithful to God. And so David... David was brought by God to, uh, to lead the kingdom of Israel after King Saul, and that relationship was strained, to say the least. Uh, uh, Saul was somebody who didn't like David, didn't appreciate that David was overtaking his reign, that people were recognizing the hand of God on David's life. In fact, Saul, on many occasions, tried to kill David. He, he, he put a lot of energy into taking David down. And David had a best friend, and the best friend's name is Jonathan. They were, they were just close, tight friends, and here's, here's the Jerry Springer part. <laughs> Jonathan and Saul were dad and son. So David was best friends with his enemy's son. And the Bible goes into this portion where David has, he's become king and he just, everything he does is succeeding. He's winning battles. He's winning just in every arena of life. He's successful. He's winning like he's on top of the world. Everything is going great. Just victory on top of victory for David. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see this interesting pause where, where David takes a moment to reflect on all of the good all of the winnings on, on all of the successes. And here's what it says. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And is there anyone in this family I can still honor because of my friendship with Jonathan? And he summoned a man named Ziba. Everyone say Zeba. Who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I am Zeba, he replied. If you're having a child soon, this is a great biblical name for you. Wow. It's in the Bible. If there's a Zeba here, I apologize. The, there probably is. Oh, God. There's, there's a seat for you. <laughs> the, the king then asked him, is, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show, them God, uh, show God's kindness to them. I, this is interesting. He doesn't say, I want to show my kindness to them. He doesn't say, I want to be kind to them. He says, I want to, I want to show God's kindness to them. D- did you know that when you have been blessed by God and you then in turn bless someone else, you're not just being kind to them. You're demonstrating to them the kindness of God that is on your life to them. You're sharing what God has done for you to be able to bless someone else. He he says, I I, want to show them the the kindness of God. Like like when you're you're in Starbucks and you see somebody that tried to swipe for, for a thing and it didn't go through and you pay for it, you're showing them the kindness of God. Like when you see a single mom at the gas pump and she can cover it, but you still cover it anyway just because you know being a single mom is one of the hardest things on the planet. That's showing the kindness of God. That's not being a kind person. You know, like that, that's showing them that like God has blessed you and you can, you can pass that on. He says, I, I want to show them God's kindness. And Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons, so one of your best friend's sons, is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. In fact, the scripture tells us how he was crippled in both feet, that he was, he was fleeing the city. And as he fled the city, in the hands of his nursemaid, she dropped him and she broke his feet. I just think it's really interesting for David that it, in, the, in the middle of winning, he's now king, like anything he says goes, like he has influence, power, money, he's got it all. But he recognizes something perhaps within himself. And, and that's this, that we all have this tendency inside of us to drift towards ourselves. Like left to our own devices, left to just us in neutral, we, sh- we drift towards me, what about me? Like, what about my feelings? What about my thoughts? What about my money? What about my day? Like, I can prove it to you. Like, the last time you got a selfie with somebody, you probably said, let me look. <laughs> you, you were, like, looking at the selfie to see if their hair looked good. You know what I mean? Like, you weren't seeing if, like, if, if their dress was flattering on them. You were looking to see if you looked good in a selfie. Because we all tend to really care about ourselves. It's our natural trend. It's, it's this self-preservation, self-indulgence, self-aggrandizement, self-just building up of ourself, me, mine, what do I get out of this situation? In fact, I would say this, an indicator that we are shifting towards ourselves is if we hear ourselves in the back of our mind asking this question, what benefit do I get from this? What, what does this benefit me? When someone invites you to a small group and your question is, how does this benefit me? You're shifting towards self. When, when, when someone asks you to get into discipleship and go through the following God class, you say, well, how does this benefit me? Well, it does benefit you, I promise. But the question, what does it benefit me, is a shift towards self. When somebody like Clark and Abby get up here and talk about giving on a Legacy Sunday, and you say, well, how does it benefit me? Do do I I get a house? Serve on a team somewhere. Go share the gospel with somebody. How does that benefit me? Instead of what can I do to show God's kindness to somebody else, the the question is often what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And can I just tell you that David made a huge shift in, at this moment in his life. He made a shift from pursuing political influence, financial wealth, and stability. And he made the shift to look at other people and say, how can I show God's kindness to somebody else that does not necessarily deserve God's kindness from me? Who can I bless rather than who can bless the Bible says that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those other things that we're looking for, they will be added to us. And so in our busyness and in our running and in our chasing success, I'm telling you the Bible's secret to success is not to chase success, it's to seek first the kingdom of God. Right. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that, that he, or I'll put in she, he or she who refreshes or blesses others will themselves be blessed or refreshed. That when we encourage someone else, God's going to encourage us. When we bless somebody else, God's going to bless us. If, if, If you're looking for a blessing, I'm telling you, the best way to find a blessing is to be a blessing. If you be a blessing, you will receive a blessing. But if you seek the benefit and then look to bless you may miss the actual benefit. David didn't have to bless anyone, especially anyone from Saul's house. Let me say, not only did David, David didn't have to do this. This boy's grandfather is the very man that lied about David, that slandered David, that wanted him dead, that chased him around the entire country looking to kill him. David didn't have to do anything for this young man. But not only did David not have to, David shouldn't have. Because culturally, we live in we live in a you know this, this system where we vote and we bring people in and nobody nobody plans to stay in in charge more than eight years. But in their day and age, we're talking about a monarchy where the rule of law is essentially when a new person is established as the leader, your next move, whether you want to or not, must be to kill everyone who has bloodlines to the the previous leader. And the reason they would do that is to eliminate any any question as to the legitimacy of your rule. So David should have... He didn't need to do anything for, for Saul's uh, grandson. Not only, not only did, he, did he not have to bless him, he shouldn't have blessed him. Let me say, like the natural bend of our heart is towards our, ourselves, but David recognizes that if, if God has blessed me, he's, he's blessed me so I can be a blessing to others. Specifically, the least likely for me to bless. Instead of having a life that drifts towards self, we should be people that that ask the question. The very first question should be, "How can I be a blessing to them? How can I how can I bless someone else?" Because if we're, if we're not intentional about this, if, if we're not intentionally asking, how can I improve their life? How can I add value to this person's world? Like the other day, we, were, we, were at a, eating, we don't eat out very often uh, lately. We just haven't. And, and we were eating out, and, and the, the, the gal that was waiting on us, I, I could just tell she was stressed out. And she wasn't like on her A game. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you have great service, yeah. and sometimes not so much. Yeah. This was not so much. But I could just sense on her that there was like a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And can I just tell you, uh, in that moment, we have a choice to either say, well, what do I get out of this? Because I'm about to call the manager to make sure I get mine. Or have the choice to say, "How, how can I bless this person? Because she's clearly stressed out. And if we're not intentional, we will miss the moments to bless other people. Like like there are moments that God establishes in our life for us to bless others, and if you're not looking for it, you'll miss it. That moment to go on an outreach event with the church, and and you're like, no, it was really about me. I wanted to make sure it was all about me, and you're going to miss the moment. That moment to share the gospel with a person sitting in, you know, grocery outlet, and, and you're like, no, it was all about, you'll miss the moments if it's about you. This legacy offering that is coming up, if it's all about you, you will miss the moment to be part of a miracle. Like, like I'm just saying, like when, when we go to, go to moments like legacy and we we collectively we all give above and beyond what we typically give. It is it, it, a moment where we can either ask, what benefit do I get out of this? Or how can I bless? It's interesting, this this verse goes on in verse 4. It says this, where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him. I I love Ziba, that's a great name. (laughs) At the the home of Machir, son of Amil. And so David sent for him, and he brought him from Machir's home, and his name was Mephibosheth. That's a great name. Mephibosheth. But I think we're going to call him Mephibi-phibi right now because Mephibosheth is not the easiest. So Mephibi, (laughs) he was Jonathan's son, and he was Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth responded, Not greetings. He said, I am your servant. Why did he do that? Why did he bow super low to the ground and why did he not greet him back? He just said, I'm your servant. Because culturally, the bloodline of Saul should all be wiped out. So in his mind, he thinks, even though this is 20 years later, I'm about to be killed. I'm, I'm going to die. In fact, this is evident because the very next thing David said, David says this, he says, Don't be afraid. Uh, David said, I intend to show you kindness, to, intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. He says, he says, you're not going to be the kid that wanders around wondering where you belong. Instead, you're going to have a place. You're going to have a seat. You're going to have a place that is yours, where you belong, where you rightfully belong, at the king's table. Instead of death, David brings this guy, Mephibi-fibi. He brings him blessing." not thinking about this that that if i promote this guy if i give him land i'm giving him influence and i'm validating him like it would give him an opportunity to have a, 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 to to vie for the, for the office of king like it gives him a, a leverage to be able to be you know to 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 come against me instead of thinking what's best for david david says i want to think about what's best for this young man mephibosheth instead of bringing death he gives him what he doesn't deserve. Instead of giving him the the, the cultural expectation, he brings to him grace. He gives him land, which is status. He he brings him to the king's table that he can can eat at it for the rest of his life from from a place called Lodabar to the king's table. That's a pretty amazing thing that David did. But the Bible, what's so cool about the Bible is, is there's like layer upon layer upon layer all through the whole Bible. So not only do we see David bringing this guy up to the king's table, but, but even when we look at the word Lodabar, it shows us an understanding of what's actually going on here. This word Lodabar, it's, it's a compound word. Dabar means thing. That's pretty impressive. It means Thing. But low is like a negator. It's like anybody speak French, it's like in French, if I, if I say je sais, it means I, 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 I know. Je sais, I know. Or, yeah, I know. But if I say je ne sais pas, it means I don't know. Ne pas, it's a negator. You put it on anything, it means no, 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 no. It's opposite of that. So that's what's going on. It's Debar means thing, but low means not a thing. So it really means... Nothing or nothing. He's he's in this place of nothing. He, he's in a place of nothing. And it is a geographical place, but it is also a mindset. It's the place where dreams die, where hope vanishes. It's the place where significance is flighty. It's the place of missed opportunities. It's the place of no purpose. It's the place of shame and it's the place of guilt. He he couldn't get out of a place of nothing by himself. He needed David to bring him out of nothing. He needed David to draw him from Lodabar. He he had been there for a long time. He'd been there for decades in a place of, of, of nothingness because he wasn't born a cripple. The people in the palace were fleeing because there was a change in leadership. David was becoming king and all the people in the palace assumed that David would kill Mephibosheth, one of the grandsons of Saul. And so they as the nursemaid is running out of the house, she falls down and drops the baby and breaks both of his legs in a culture that doesn't have good medicine to reset the bones properly. He... he, he 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 was a victim of somebody else's busyness. He he was a victim of of, of somebody else just not giving enough thought to the moment. There are people that you interact with every day who who are good people. They're just victims of, of somebody else's frustration, somebody else's busyness. There's people in this room that you you had an alcoholic dad and, and and it's not your fault that there are some hardwired things in your head but there's it's just there for for some maybe maybe your dad left pornography on a coffee table and it is it is disturbed the way you think it's it's being a victim of somebody else's vices not your fault because Mephibosheth is not defined by what happened to him. Instead, he has an opportunity to step into the invitation of the king to find a seat. To find a seat at the king's table. Like the guy that never had a seat at the king's table is given an opportunity to have a seat at the king's table. Like we can't change the brokenness we've experienced but well, we don't have to live where brokenness found us. Lodabar is it's a wasteland. It's a, it's a place without hope, but, but it's familiar. It's purposeless, but it is achievable. I, I, can, I can manage this because it's a low expectation. It's a place of no faith, no hope for something better, no bright future, no, no, no moment of, of tomorrow. It's a place of hurt. It's a place of discouragement. The people around us often live in low Debar. And it can look like they have it all together. Because the truth is we can look like we have success, but not have any significance. A place of insecurities, fears, brokenness, frustration. And, and, and what I love is that, that David, David has the ability to change Mephiboshbe's life. And he calls for a person named Zeba to do it. Ziba calls on Mephibosheth on behalf of David. Like Mephibosheth's brokenness is over at the seat of the king. Like like he, he's given land so he can begin to build a better future. He's He has a, a seat at the table so he has a voice and he's known and he's he's a part of the community. But like, like he, he, He's been raised from so much that he had lost. He's no longer in a place called Lodabar. No longer in a place of nothing. But now he's forever at the seat at the king's table. and There are people in our lives, family members, who are just the victim of what happened, circumstances. There are people in our church that are just looking for hope and a future. And I'm telling you, church, our responsibility is to be the kind of people that refuse to say, this seat right here, is taken. We've, we've got to be the, the opposite of people that say, no, 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 this, this church is not for people like you. We've, we've got to be the kind of people like Zeba with a mandate from a king that say, no, I'm going to find you a seat at the table. Because there's people flooding to this valley because they're looking for change and transformation. They're looking for hope and a future. They're running from what they believe is political oppression. But can I just tell you what they're really looking for is spiritual transformation. They're really looking for hope in Jesus. And if we say, no, there's no more seats at the table. There's no more seats in, in the school bus. There's no more seats in the church. We're missing the point of why God brought us this building anyway. Let me just say, let, let's be the kind of people to say, hey, I, I got a seat. There's a seat right here for you. There's a, there's a spot for you. Because there are people around us who are, who are wishing that they could have a seat at the table. They work beside you. Their kids play soccer with your kids. Their locker is just down the hallway from your locker. They eat at the same restaurants as you. They, they even attend the same church as you, but they just don't know that they have a seat yet. And I'm saying, church, we've got to be like a zeba that recognizes that the king has a purpose, and his purpose is to bless people who are in Lodabar, people that are hopeless and looking for more. Can we be the kind of people that search out the Mephiboshibis and find them a seat? Because there's an invitation at the king's table. David invites him. David chose, I'm gonna bless this person first, and I'll look for any benefit later. I'm I'm gonna gonna go ahead and I'm gonna bless this person first. Church, we're getting ready in, in two weeks to do our legacy offering, which is how we as a church fund everything beyond like our operational expenses. And somebody right now, you're like, oh, I get it. This is all about money. Church just wants money. No, the church wants to reach people, and it takes resources to reach people. It takes resources to make impact. And, and, and I just believe that there's a mandate from the king for us to make a difference. And I'm just calling you, like, let's, let's be the kind of people that say, no, we're going to be looking to create more seat, more space for more people. It's not about our benefit. It's about theirs. So don't, don't be the kind of people that in two weeks skip out. This is not about turning the lights on. Our church operates with a surplus. Like we, we operate off of, a, off of a budget so that we can make sure that we're doing well. Okay? We don't take up special offerings for everything we do. But when it comes to expanding kingdom impact, we ask one time a year. For everybody to lean in, pray, ask God, what's the best you could do? Why? Because there's a seat, and there's somebody on your street that needs a seat. I was talking to somebody just this week. We we, she was she was frazzled. My wife said, "Do you go to church anywhere?" She said, "No, I don't go to church anywhere. I'm just so busy." So you need a church family. Well, I, I don't know if I need. No, you need women in your life that can surround you and can help you and can build your life, like can move things forward. We, we've we've got to be the kind of people that are building seats for people, not telling them that we're full, seat taken. Ziba is told, he said, go, go, go and find Mephibosheth. Mephibosh, uh, Ziba summons him on behalf of the king. Summons him on behalf of the king. I think sometimes what we do is we um, we we've all experienced like if you're here, maybe you haven't. Some some people here are are not even believers, and I love that you're here actually. Um, But for the believers in the room, like I think we've all discovered that there's just such hope and healing, like at the at the seat with Jesus. Like it was when it was when I. It was when I was invited by Aziba. Somebody else decided to invest in me. Somebody else decided to encourage me. When I was discouraged and wanting to run from God, I had some people calling me on the phone like, you can't run far enough. We're just going to keep chasing you and hoping and praying that that God's going to do a transformation. And I'm telling you, it it worked. And what happens is you come back into a place like this, and you're like, man, these these seats are kind of comfy. Honestly, they're pretty comfy. I see you sleeping back there. <laughs> so why do you go to that church? Because I can sleep in the chairs. It's all right. We come, music's good, we find ourselves worshiping, enjoying, enjoying church, like heart full, feeling good, like, man, this is amazing. Like, this is really good. I, I need to find a place where I can get involved. And so we, like, we find a spot to, to serve and be a part of in the church You know, we we maybe get into a a group, and so we're we're in a group with other people. It's really, like, really, things are are great. But it seems like the longer we sit in a chair, the more that chair becomes ours. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can guess that you're probably sitting, if if you came last week, you're probably sitting pretty close to the seat you sat in last week. (laughs) Summer <laughs> down, pastor Getting on my seat like, like some of us sit in the same spot Every, every single week and, and sooner or later It becomes our, our spot And then when somebody else Wants to come Sit with us We, we say, whoa, 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 whoa whoa, whoa, That's mine that's mine, that's mine, and that one's mine. These are these are my chairs. And I think I think we get like that when we forget what it's like to not be in the chair. When we forget what it was like to live in a place like Lodabar. A place of discouragement. A place far from God. We forget. We begin to become entitled to the, to the things that we have. We think, oh, this, this seat at the king's table, that's, that's mine. I'm, I deserve that because I've been, I've been doing right, I've been being right. And I can I just tell you, do not, church, we, we cannot forget what it was like to not have a seat at the table. We've got to be the kind of people that remember very clearly what it was like when we didn't have a seat because we are mandated with being the zebas of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Running out, finding people and showing them that you have a, a seat at the king's table for the rest of your life. You have a seat. This is one of the things that I love about our church that we're just, we're just full of stories of people who have been rescued and, and just like reunited with Jesus. People, people that have have lost hope in the church, lost hope in God, and they showed up, and someone said, hey, there's a seat for you. You belong here. There's a space for you. Church, this legacy offering that we're getting ready to do, it's, it's, it's not about trying to do something amazing. It's about all of us just praying, saying, God, what, what is the best you would want me to do this year? Because God will speak to you in moments, and he'll give you direction. You know that? Like God, I think we, we all too often, we just don't listen to the voice of the Lord. Um, my wife was at a, at a thrift store the other day. And this is yesterday. My wife loves the thrift. She, she's, I hate it. It gives me diarrhea, okay? As soon as I walk in, I'm like, this reminds me of my childhood. I'm out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I have, I have dug enough toys out of a big pine box. <laughs> like I'm done. But she was in there, and uh, there was a family from, I don't know where, but they were speaking Swahili, uh, a, a, um, a refugee family. And they were they were struggling, and the clerk was was not being very helpful with them because they had a voucher to be able to get a jacket for the kids, and they were wearing flip-flops and T-shirts. And the clerk didn't wasn't wasn't being helpful. Like they, they weren't able to get the, the voucher because it was just it wasn't the right things or whatever. And Skim's like I, we're getting you more than just a jacket for the child. Like we're getting you boots, and we're getting you like we're, come 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 come. I'm not saying she's amazing, but what I am saying is when she did that, other people in the line who probably wanted to stand up but didn't stand up started handing Kim Cash saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. Yeah. Why? Because inside of all of us, there's a desire to be the kind of people that create space at the table. Yes. Yeah. So this, this, in two weeks, when we come together for the Legacy Sunday, here's, here's, my, here's my ask. I'm going to ask you to, to give above and beyond what you normally do as the, for the, in, in the church. This is not operational stuff. We don't pay payroll out of this. This is what we do to have lasting impact in the community. I want you to, I want you to, to give. I want you to ask yourself, what does God want me to do that would give in a way that, that outlasts me? How do I give in a way that outlasts my life? Like I'm talking about a sacrificial giving, not equal sacrifice, not equal gifting, but equal sacrifice. What I'm saying is, for somebody, you may come and you may feel like God, God has told you to give a 100 dollars. And that's a lot. Pretty significant. But for some of you, God is going to ask you to give 10,000 dollars. And for you, that's also equally as significant as their hundred. For some of you, God may ask you to give $100,000. What? <laughs> God may ask you to give $100,000. Because it's not about equal number, it's about equal sacrifice. That we're all saying, I'm going to listen to God and I'm, I'm going to move the kingdom of God forward. Why? So more Mephibosheths that are the victims of somebody else's busyness can find a seat at the table. Is that all right? Would you stand with me across the room? If you're you're here and you're not a believer and you're like, I knew it, it really is all about money for them. I hope you hear the heart behind this. We as a church, we, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. We really do. And by making a difference around the world with you know, helping, helping children in need and doing all the things that the church does, I hope you understand that every, every Christian that gives, isn't do, they're not doing it because they're being forced to. In fact, I would say this. If you feel guilty to give, like you feel like you're being guilted to, please don't. Don't give. But, but I hope I hope what you hear is that Christians are not the kind of friends that just cheer you on. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to cheer somebody on. It's another thing to write a check. It's one thing when your friend is starting a business and you're like, yeah, I'm so proud of you. Can I get a discount? It's another thing to walk in there and pay full price and, and just get behind what your friend is doing. Yes. And that's how we are. We are like Zeba. If the Lord is reaching a lost world, we're in. We're in. So in two weeks, as we come together, uh, honestly, the funnest Sunday we do all year. Yes. The funnest. Um, it will not be like any church service you have ever been in. Can I pray? God, I thank you that you, uh, you are not in the seat-taking business. I'm so thankful that there's room for me. God, when I, when I was young and dumb and I walked away from you, you still created room for me. You created space for me. God, I will not tell people, seat taken. But I will leverage my life, I'll leverage whatever I have to make a difference so that you can have more people at your table. Because you love them all. God, I pray that you would uh, you'd speak to us in this room. Lord, I pray for, for those that intend to give. I pray that they would, they would pray about it and they'd hear some direction on it that it would challenge us and it would cement our feet into a trust in you. Because we love you. Lord. My next question is this. It, I'll just say this. If, if you're in the room and you feel like, man, I, I'm a am kind of like a Mephibifibi in a place of Lodabar in a place of Nothing. In fact, Mephibosheth's name means abandoned. If, if you're that person in this room today and you say, I, I tried I'm trying so hard to change my life, but if I'm I just get frustrated because I was dealt a bad deck of cards. Can I just tell you that, that Jesus is calling? Not King David, King Jesus is calling. And he's saying, there is room for you at the table. There's room for you. So how do I, how do I come to Jesus? Here's how you do it. First thing we do is re- we repent. Repent means we turn away from anything that we think, do, or say, that we know doesn't please God. And you don't need me to give you a list because you know what those things are. You know what the things you do are. We turn from them, and then we believe in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, which has the power to cure sin. The power of sin and the consequences, it cures it. And when we do this, he brings us to his seat at the table. So would you pray, if if you're ready to to turn to Jesus, would you pray with me right now? We're just going to repent and believe. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me, that he was buried for three days, and then when he rose, he rose with all power over death, hell, and the grave. And more importantly, he gives me life more abundant. So right now, I'm placing all of my faith, and all of my hope, in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words. Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on. If you just made that prayer for the very first time, or maybe it's been a long time, can you put a hand up so I can see where you are? Come on. Yeah, I see those hands. I see that. Come on. Let's give them a hand. Come on.
0: Let's worship and respond. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.